There's a famous Washington Irving short story that you may have heard of called Rip Van Winkle, in which a guy named Rip Van Winkle falls asleep and wakes up 20 years later having missed the American Revolution. And naturally, he feels pretty disoriented having missed an earth-shattering event like that. So there are several moments in the past couple of years which I describe as Rip Van Winkle moments, when the political landscape changed so suddenly that it made me feel like I was the one who had fallen asleep and woken up 20 years later having missed a whole slew of events. There was a Rip Van Winkle moment for me, and I'm sure for many of you as well, in 2020, and it's not going to be what you think it is. Sometime in late 2020, as the election was approaching, I started hearing the term critical race theory everywhere. Prior to that, I had certainly heard the term, but I expected to hear it coming from the aloof, drug-addled brain of a college professor, not from relatives of mine who had no interest in legal studies. I started to ask myself, did I miss something here? Was there some massive event that I didn't hear about that now has everyone talking about CRT? And the craziest part, arguably, was that I was working in education at the time, and since this theory had allegedly seized control of all of America's educational institutions, surely I should have known about this well in advance. And shortly after that, there was another Rip Van Winkle moment in education specifically, the so-called grooming of children to become transgender. Yet again, I was caught by surprise when the conversation changed dramatically in a field that I should have been intimately familiar with. Now all of the conservative TV personalities were talking about drag shows in schools, and teachers seducing kids into believing that they were born in the wrong body, and so on. But I knew dozens of education professionals, and not one of them had ever groomed a kid into believing they were transgender, nor had any of them brought in drag queens to dance seductively in front of nine-year-olds. Moreover, I was teaching in a very liberal school, in a very liberal district, in a very liberal state. Surely, if this was happening anywhere, it would be in my school, right? And yet, nothing even close to the accusations made on conservative media seemed to be happening in my school or in any school I was aware of. So naturally, I was wondering how all of this had happened. How did America become obsessed with CRT? And how did America's parents come to believe that their schools were grooming children? When, at least from what I could tell, none of this was particularly widespread. Now, if you're familiar with our Florida man, Ron DeSantis, I'm sure I don't need to explain why all of this is relevant to the topic of this podcast. The issues I'm talking about here are Ron DeSantis' bread and butter. But the questions I posed earlier lead us to someone close to Ron DeSantis, someone who's been working alongside the Florida governor to shape policy in Florida, a guy named Christopher Rufo. So we're going to be talking a little about him today, because if we're going to understand how the conversation around education changed in America, and how DeSantis sees that opportunity to his benefit, we're going to have to understand who Christopher Rufo is, and how he shaped the American vernacular in 2020. Good morning, class! For today's history lesson, we're going to talk about someone very important, the President of the United States of America. Now, I'm sure a lot of your parents have told you that maybe one day you'll grow up to be the President. I want to let you know right now that that is a lie. Not one of you in this class will ever be President. Alright, so welcome to another episode of Florida Man, our ongoing series about leading contender for the Republican nomination, Ron DeSantis. We have a great episode planned for you guys today. To start, we're going to be talking about this guy named Christopher Rufo, who's helped Ron DeSantis to draft some of his more popular legislation. 
Following that, Ryan will be giving an update on the state of the field regarding who's declared for the 2024 presidential race and what policy positions we know about them so far. And then we're going to be talking to our friends Tim and Andrew from America the Conversation. They host a podcast where they talk about all things American politics. And if you like our show and particularly this series, you should definitely check them out. They do a great show that's funny, interesting, and super informative. And we're going to be talking with them about, of course, Ron DeSantis and what's been going on lately with with him and with Florida. So getting back to this Rip Van Winkle moment that I talked about earlier, looking back, it's kind of understandable that I missed the event that triggered all of this. I think a lot of liberal-leaning people probably did, because liberals were out of step with one major influence on American public policy during the Trump years, and that's Fox News. Now, you probably tell this about me just by listening to me talk, but I'm not really a fan of Fox News. But in retrospect, I probably should have had my eyes glued to Fox during the Trump years, because the other person who had his eyes glued to Fox 24-7-365 during that time period was Donald J. Trump himself, the most powerful man in the world. Broadcasters like Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingraham, and Sean Hannity had a massive influence on the executive branch, because arguably, they were the only people who could hold his attention for more than 30 seconds. In this case, the influence came from one of Tucker Carlson's nightly programs back in September of 2020. The show began like any other, a red-faced Tucker on the left, squinting into the camera as if he were gazing into the viewer's soul, and on the right, a guest named Christopher Rufo. At the time, Rufo was known as the senior fellow for the conservative think tank the Manhattan Institute, and a former documentarian who had worked for other think tanks in the past, such as the Discovery Institute, which was known for promoting creationism. Rufo explained that a radical ideology called critical race theory had infiltrated the federal government and was being weaponized against the American people. And he goes on to cite several examples, some of which were genuinely objectionable, in which taxpayer dollars were used in diversity trainings, which stated, among other things, that America is a white supremacist country and all white people work to uphold white supremacy. He went on to call CRT an existential threat to our country and he called upon then-President Trump to ban all critical race theory training for federal employees. Ruvo also pointed out that it was within the executive branch's authority to enact this policy immediately. Now, who can tell if Ruvo knew that he was about to make history? Certainly it was a fair bet that if you said something on Fox News that it would eventually get to the president, and probably rather quickly at that, but people appear on Fox News every night, and only a few of them have the policy impact that Ruvo did. In any case, Just three days after Christopher Rufo's appearance on Tucker, President Trump issued the very executive order that Rufo had requested. He went on to tweet that CRT was a sickness that cannot be allowed to continue, and he asked his followers to please report any sightings so we can quickly extinguish. And, as the saying goes, the rest is history. The CRT panic kicked off in full swing, and it hasn't really died out yet. Within a year of Rufo's interview, 35 states introduced 137 laws designed to restrict what schools can teach with regard to race, American history, politics, sexual orientation, and gender identity. And as for the man himself, following his interview with Tucker, Rufo has become a big name in conservative politics. He's appeared on stage with DeSantis several times during the passing of legislation, and earlier this year, he was appointed by DeSantis to the Board of Trustees for the New College of Florida, where he and several other conservative education activists are seeking to reshape the vision of the school to be more in line with the radical rights values. So suffice it to say, the interview was a massive success, and I would argue, as far as academics go, Rufo is easily one of the most influential of the 21st century. Now, with my remaining time here, I could do what a lot of liberal commentators have tried to do with Christopher Rufo, and I could debunk him 
whatever that means, by pointing to a bunch of false things he said, or I could try to prove that he's creating a false narrative. But there's a lot of places you could go to get that, and I encourage you to seek those out. There's hours of coverage of that sort of thing. Instead, I just want to explore Rufo's ideology and his background so we can try to uncover what his goals are. One of the things that I find so interesting about Rufo is that he's relatively open about what his goals are and what his strategy is. I found that for most political figures, there's a public-facing persona and a private persona. This is something that Hillary Clinton talked about at one point, and this dynamic makes it very hard to predict how a politician is going to behave. But unlike most political figures, Rufo is an open book. I've listened to a ton of interviews with the guy, and he's more than happy to discuss his strategy and his long-term goals in a way that most politicians would be much too afraid to do. I think one thing that's critical to understand about Rufo is that he actually wasn't always a conservative activist, because he wasn't always a conservative. Rufo grew up in a family of what he described in various places as radical left and even Marxist or communist activists. He then went on to work on documentaries for PBS, and later he says his left-wing worldview fell apart, and he entered the world of conservative journalism. Rufo claims, and I'm inclined to agree, that this is what sets him apart from other conservatives. He knows how to think like a person on the left. When I learned this about Rufo, it kind of made sense of everything else about him. First, because Rufo tends to see a Marxist threat in places where most of us wouldn't. If you're the child of communist activists, this kind of makes sense, since communism is probably going to figure pretty prominently in your consciousness. And second, I noticed that Rufo kind of seems like a sort of anti-Marxist. He seems to want to seize the reins of power in the same way that his enemies do, but so that he can use that power for good rather than for evil. Or at least that's the way he sees it. And in a way, Rufo seems to have taken a Marxist view of power and used it towards conservative ends. Once he became a conservative, Rufo noticed something about the conservative movement. In his view, they had been fighting something for a long time, probably since the Obama years, that they weren't able to effectively describe. He noticed that conservatives would draw a box around a certain element of the left and label them with something like political correctness or SJWs or wokeness, and the left would somehow always evade the label, forcing conservatives to draw a new box and create a new label, and the cycle would repeat itself. In order to fight this radical threat to American society, the right needed a new language, or they'd just be engaging in an endless goose chase. The new language would need to succeed where prior ones had failed. It needed to be a catch-all term that linked some of the chaotic elements occurring on college campuses, the rioting tied to the Black Lives Matter movement, academics who advocated for radical leftist political programs, and all the while, it would also need to rope in ordinary, everyday liberals, otherwise it wouldn't really be useful for advocating an alternative conservative political platform. And somehow, while all of this is going on, the term would need to avoid being so overly broad as to be completely useless. The language he was looking for came to Rufo during the pandemic. A leaker had sent him a video of an implicit bias training for the Seattle city government. The virtual nature of the pandemic had made it easier for people to record videos of such training since you could do it from the comfort of your own home, and you didn't need to sneak a phone in the middle of a meeting or something like that. Now, like any good journalist, Rufo began to investigate this as soon as he received the video. He acquired slideshows from the trainings via FOIA requests and started down a rabbit hole. He published a story in the City Journal, which is published by the Manhattan Institute, in which he wrote, quote, under the banner of anti-racism, Seattle's Office of Civil Rights is now explicitly endorsing principles of segregationism, group-based guilt, and race essentialism, ugly concepts that should have been left behind a century ago, unquote. The story gained a good deal of notoriety, and Rufo began to receive more and more leaks from which to further his research. 
In all of the research he did, he kept finding two popular books appearing over and over again, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi and White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, books that exploded in popularity during the George Floyd protests in 2020. Next, he looked at the footnotes of these books and continually found the names of two legal theorists, Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell. And when he dug into the footnotes for those legal scholars, he found the person he was finally looking for. That's right, Karl Marx. Remember what I said earlier about Rufo finding a Marxist threat where other people might not find one? I think that kind of applies here. Kimberly Crenshaw and Derek Bell wrote in the 90s, and they argued that white supremacy can live on in the laws and norms of a society without any explicit racists needing to perpetuate it. Basically, the idea is that racist outcomes can occur without George Wallace sitting on the Supreme Court. You don't actually need actively racist people doing actively racist things to promote racist outcomes. Crenshaw and Bell, along with some other scholars, were part of a movement that used this lens, which they called structural racism, to analyze the law and its effect on society. The movement was called critical race theory. Something finally clicked. The language Rufo had been looking for for over a decade had finally come to him. Critical race theory. It sounded foreign and spooky. It had ties, however loose, to Marxism. Every American's worst nightmare. And its association with race and racism could ensure that anyone who highlighted racism as an issue could fall under its wide umbrella. In the words of Rufo himself, quote, Critical race theory is the perfect villain. Its connotations are all negative to most middle-class Americans, including racial minorities, who see the world as creative rather than critical, individual rather than racial, practical rather than theoretical. Strung together, the phrase critical race theory connotes hostile, academic, divisive, race-obsessed, poisonous, elitist, anti-American. Most perfect of all, Rufo continued, critical race theory is not an externally applied pejorative. Instead, it's the label the critical race theorists chose for themselves. It was at about this time that Rufo made his appearance on Tucker Carlson, and the whole thing blew up. He started getting phone calls from Mark Meadows, the chief of staff for Donald Trump, and suddenly angry parents across America were parroting Rufo's newly created language at school board meetings. The success of his new political movement would give Rufo reason to believe that he was speaking to something true about the American experience in the modern day. It would give him a sense that, if so many people resonated with his language, he must be describing something very real, even if that thing wasn't, strictly speaking, critical race theory. And on this, I'm actually going to agree with Rufo in some manner. The liberal responses to Rufo have focused, in my opinion, far too much on what is and is not critical race theory, as if that is what's important here. If you want a great example of this, look up MSNBC's Joy Reid interviewing Rufo. She accuses Rufo of having come up with his own theory, which she calls Christopher Rufo theory, the namesake of this episode, and attributing it to people he disagrees with. This tactic might work for making liberals feel better about themselves, but it's going to fall on deaf ears to anyone who was bought into Rufo's rhetoric. A parent who thinks their kid is being indoctrinated with a hateful ideology called critical race theory is probably not going to be comforted by being told that actually that hateful ideology is called something else. Despite Rufo's careful messaging and strategizing, I don't think the CRT panic could have kicked off in the first place if there wasn't something to actually be angry about. Personally, I don't think that this is some kind of Marxist conspiracy that's pervaded our federal government at every level, but that doesn't mean it's not something that should be addressed. I'm sure many of you listening will have seen posters or slideshows circulating on the internet that claim that being on time, objective rational thinking, and cause and effect relationships are all symptoms of whiteness. And 
just for the record, I took all of these from a very real ad that was circulated by a museum, so I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. Liberals, myself included, are probably going to dismiss these as isolated examples of either poor use of language or genuinely dumb ideas being circulated by well-meaning people. But when these very real examples of harmful ideas exist and are out there for all to see, it starts to sound a little dismissive to say that CRT doesn't exist at all. And this is one of the problems that the internet creates. If you see five different examples of crazy DEI trainings, it's going to seem like this is a trend and like these things are everywhere. But in a nation of 300 million, there are guaranteed to be at least five crazy seminars going on at any given moment. Anyway, I'm getting a bit off track here, so let's get back to Christopher Rufo, a sentence that I hope I'll never have to say again. There's one more thing that I want to note about Rufo that I think is important. In order to do what Rufo has done, it must be the case that he in some way believes the things that he's saying. In some way, I think he really does believe that a Marxist ideology has overtaken many of America's institutions and is threatening to destroy American society as we know it. But on several occasions, Rufo has indicated that he actually might have a broader vision than he lets on, maybe one that isn't so popular as attacking groomers and racist ideologues. Now, one thing you'll notice is most of the concrete examples I've talked about here have been about workplace trainings, and yet most of Rufo's activism has been around education. So what's the deal with this mismatch here? I think Rufo lets us in on why education has been his focus during a speech at Hillsdale College. Rufo talked about school vouchers and universal school choice, a longtime conservative policy goal, and while he didn't bring up critical race theory, I think it's kind of clear that that's what he was talking about. So he said, quote, To get to universal school choice, you really need to operate from a premise of universal public school distrust. Because in order for people to take significant action, they have to feel like they have something at stake, unquote. And what better way to make people feel like they have something at stake than to spread a narrative that teachers have become radical warriors for a destructive ideology? Again, he didn't say critical race theory, but I think the term is is lying underneath the surface there. I think this actually explains a lot of his behavior, and it fits with the picture I painted earlier of Rufo as an anti-Marxist. It actually reminds me of the Marxist writer and philosopher Antonio Gramsci. And I'm probably saying that wrong, so you know, just bear with me, don't at me in the chat. Writing over 50 years after Marx, Gramsci was grappling with an age-old problem for Marxists. Why wasn't the revolution coming? If you missed this while you were being indoctrinated in your high school history classes, here's some Marxist theory for you. Marx had theorized that the contradictions of capitalism were going to lead to greater and greater economic crises, which would inevitably bring about the end of capitalism and the birth of a new economic and political system. But in the early 1920s, not only had this not occurred, but the opposite seemed to be occurring. Capitalism seemed more entrenched than it had been in Marx's day, and Marxists everywhere were looking for an explanation as to why this hadn't led to that supposedly inevitable worker revolution. Gramsci explained this through a concept known as cultural hegemony. Capitalism, according to Gramsci, had maintained power not by violence or coercion, but by controlling cultural institutions. By controlling these institutions, the ruling class would create a window of acceptable opinions, which would be viewed as common sense. And outside of this window would be things like socialism, revolution, and all of those things that Marxists were advocating for. So they didn't need to actually fight off any revolutions. They just needed to push revolution out of the mind of workers all over the world. Now, the natural conclusion of Gramsci's thought is that if socialists wanted to change the economic system, a violent revolution simply would not do. 
Instead, they would need to take back those cultural institutions and use them to shift the window of acceptable opinions to allow for something like socialism. Right-wingers have viewed Gramsci as a sort of prophet of the modern left. In their view, modern leftists took Gramsci's words to heart and began a slow and steady takeover of universities, publications, and media organizations. And to their point, the window of acceptable opinions has shifted significantly in the past 50 years or so. Conservatives have seen this for a long time. Since the 60s, many have complained about leftist academics and the indoctrination of students. The difference between Rufo and these generations of other conservative activists is that Rufo took a few tricks from Gramsci's playbook. If you want to win conservative battles, such as the battle for universal school choice, you have to seize cultural institutions. And sometimes that might mean getting your hands dirty. Sometimes it might mean calling teachers who are otherwise innocent groomers and racists. You can say a lot of things about Christopher Rufo, and indeed, a lot of things have been said even on this podcast alone. But one thing you have to admit is that his strategy has been successful, and it's one reason Meatball Ron DeSantis is a leading candidate for the GOP nomination. It's also why Christopher Rufo, in a Gramscian fashion, has seized control of one cultural institution, the New College of Florida. All right, and with that, we're going to switch gears, and Ryan is going to tell you about the state of the field and everything going on in the 2024 race. All right, so quite a lot has gone down since our last State of the Field segment, especially on the Republican side. So let's take a look at who's entered the race for the Republicans and then the Democrats since last episode. And with each candidate, we'll take a look at some of their policy statements thus far, and then wrap up each party with a look at some of the most current polls. So starting out with the Republicans, former governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, announced his intention to run for president on April 2nd. And this date is significant because two days later, former president and fellow 2024 Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump was arraigned in New York City for 34 felony counts of falsification of business records in the first degree. Although you, as well as me, have probably heard the story framed mostly around hush money payments made on Trump's behalf to the adult film star Stormy Daniels by former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen over an alleged affair that could have been potentially damaging were it to come out during Trump's 2016 campaign for president. The arraignment of a former president, while being an historic first in American history, which already makes it a huge deal, also happened to a man who's pretty much dominated the news cycle ever since he descended the golden escalator to run in the 2016 presidential election. But if you want to hear more about Trump's arraignment, I highly recommend that you listen to our Trump arraignment episode for all of our takes on that ongoing mess. Returning to Asa Hutchinson and the fact that he declared his intention to run in 2024 right in the middle of the media frenzy over Trump's arraignment, leaves one to wonder why he chose that precise moment in time to announce his candidacy. So why don't we wargame that a little bit? Some might argue that he chose this day strategically. The massive spectacle Trump has and continues to make of American politics perhaps made Hutchinson think that if he declared as the spectacle reached its crescendo, that it would really make his message resonate. And what is that message, you might ask? Well, that Trump withdraw from the race in order to deal with all the criminal charges against him. Asa Hutchinson has been quoted as saying, quote, the office of the president is more important than any individual person. And so for the sake of the office of the presidency, I do think the indictment is too much of a sideshow and distraction, and he needs to be able to concentrate on his due process. Hutchinson further stated, quote, the office is always more important than a person. 
And I do believe if we're looking at the presidency and the future of our country, then we don't need that distraction. And since it seems that Trump is all about distraction, I highly, highly doubt that he'll take his marching orders from the likes of Asa Hutchinson. As far as Hutchinson's own reasons for running, however, he's been quoted as saying, quote, I've traveled the country for six months. I hear people talk about the leadership of our country. I'm convinced that people want leaders that appeal to the best of America and not simply appeal to our worst instincts. This anti-Trump rhetoric timed precisely around Trump's indictment may have seemed like a good move for Hutchinson as far as generating a somewhat productive conversation around who conservative voters want to lead the party and if they aren't just overall done with all the baggage that comes with Trump. But it ultimately just led to his candidacy going almost completely unnoticed for most people who don't make it a habit of keeping up with politics on a daily basis. Despite the fact that he's almost guaranteed to be fighting for the scraps left behind by Trump and DeSantis, who himself hasn't been doing too hot lately, Asa Hutchinson is a career politician who does have plenty of experience to boot. Hutchinson represented Arkansas in Congress from 1996 to 2001, serving three consecutive terms. Under the George W. Bush administration, he served as the administrator of the DEA and later in a division of the Department of Homeland Security when Bush founded that, and that division was known as the Border and Transportation Security Directorate. And lastly, as well as most recently, he served two terms as Arkansas's governor. As far as Hutchinson's policy positions go, much can be gleaned from his long career in politics. Many of his views align with other members of his party seeking the nomination, but, quote, Hutchinson routinely went against the grain of more extreme members of his party, refusing to sign a gay discrimination bill in 2015, vetoing a bill to deny transgender children with gender-affirming care in 2021, although the state legislature ultimately overrode his veto in that situation. In regards to abortion, however, as governor, Hutchinson supported a total ban on abortion, with the only exceptions being for life of the mother, as well as in instances of rape or incest. As far as gun ownership, Hutchinson has made it no secret that he is a good friend to the NRA. Policy-wise, as governor, he signed a bill authorizing concealed carry in government buildings, parks, and property. And these last two are a little bit rough, so I hope you're ready. Hutchinson supported the death penalty in Arkansas during his time as governor, and he even saw a potentially wrongfully convicted man executed during his governorship. And our last thing, as governor, Hutchinson required people enrolled in Medicaid to also have employment, which left nearly 20,000 people out in the cold without Medicaid. So Hutchinson joins what is becoming a more and more crowded field of Republican candidates. Another candidate to talk about, as of earlier this month, South Carolina can actually boast of having two Republican candidates vying for the nom, or at least one for sure in Nikki Haley, who's former South Carolina governor and former Trump staffer, and then one maybe candidate in South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who launched an exploratory committee earlier this month. And what this exploratory committee basically is and does is it's a committee that allows Scott to raise money that could then be used to finance a presidential run and just to see if there's an interest around his candidacy. Interestingly enough, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley go back. Uh, Tim Scott was actually appointed to the Senate in December 2012 by then Governor Nikki Haley when the previous senator announced his retirement. And Scott has kept his seat by winning a special election 
and held on to it ever since. Scott is the only black Republican in the Senate. He's actually the first black senator from South Carolina since Reconstruction, a fact about him that he's used to push against Democratic positions on race issues in America. And he said that race is a weapon used by the left for purposes of division. Scott is a deeply, deeply religious man. He's an evangelical Christian and was recently a keynote speaker in the Faith in America tour, where he highlighted the importance of faith in America and the role race has played in his family history and in shaping his identity as a man of faith and a politician. While in the Senate, he was a part of a bipartisan group of senators, including Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, who introduced a bill to make lynching a federal hate crime. The bill was signed into law in 2022 by President Biden, and the bill is called the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. And according to the bill, perpetrators can receive up to 30 years prison time for conspiring to commit a hate crime that results in bodily injury or death. And it's actually quite astonishing to me, I'm sure, as it is to you as well, that this bill was actually proposed many times and failed to pass until literally last year. Those of you who want to take a trip down a historical avenue, and for those of you who don't, you're really listening to the wrong podcast. I don't know what to tell you. The bill is to quote NPR, quote, named for Emmett Till, a 14-year-old boy who was abducted, tortured, and killed in 1955 after the black teenager was accused of whistling and grabbing Carolyn Bryant, a white woman, while visiting relatives in Mississippi. Roy Bryant, Carolyn Bryant's husband, and J.W. Millam, Roy Bryant's half-brother, were tried for Emmett's murder and were quickly acquitted by an all-white jury. And look, love him or hate him, this is definitely a feather in Scott's hat that he was able to work with Democrats across the aisle and get an anti-lynching bill passed after all this time. But on the flip side, in 2021, Scott voted against investigating the January 6th Capitol riot, which was led by a violent and hateful mob. Just to rattle off some of Tim Scott's policy positions yet, because he hasn't officially established that he's running, uh, repeal the Affordable Care Act. Obviously, as a deeply religious man, he is anti-abortion. He's actually in favor of a 20-week abortion ban. He thinks that when it comes to immigrants, English should be the official language of the government, and therefore, any immigrants to this country should be required to learn it. Which, as someone who teaches English and appreciates the nuances and the complexities of the English language and grammar, English is a fucking hard language to learn. And I think somebody who's saying that should be at least bilingual and understand what it's like to learn and master another language, especially when you're coming to another country trying to figure all that out. Tim Scott has a 93% rating by the NRA, if that's any indicator of where he stands on gun control in America. On LGBTQ issues, this is straight from his campaign website, even though he isn't officially launching a campaign, he's launching an exploratory committee, but hey, you know, whatever, semantics. It says that the radical left wants to indoctrinate our children, not educate them. Tim Scott will fight to ensure that America's kids are learning how to read and write, not about gender transition and sexual identity before it's appropriate. Scott also views homosexuality as a sin, citing religious reasons for this, and he also introduced a bill to the Senate that is sort of comparable to Florida's Don't Say Gay bill. The bill is called the Parental Rights Over the Education and Care of Their Kids Act, or PROTECT, which would restrict funding for any elementary or middle schools that, quote, 
change their pronouns, gender markers, or sex-based accommodations, including locker rooms and bathrooms, without the consent of the parents. Which more and more with that, like it's couched in language of parental rights, but it almost just seems like parents' rights to bully and dictate what schools can and can't teach. Uh, but anyway, and although not policy-related, Scott has on occasion challenged Trump's racist tweets and diatribes, which gives him more balls than pretty much the entire Republican Party. He's even encouraged Trump to delete some of his shittier tweets, like the one saying that there was bad people on both sides when it came to Charlottesville, uh, as well as his tweets that were, let's say, distasteful in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. In final analysis, unless Tim Scott officially announces that he's running, in that case, not in final analysis, Tim Scott is a deeply conservative politician whose personal religious beliefs and politics frequently intertwine. We'll definitely keep you posted if Tim Scott does wind up entering the race or if more developments come out of this exploratory committee. But at this point, let's round out the Republicans who have officially declared. So in that vein, we have Nikki Haley, who was previously mentioned. And actually, in recent news, her campaign lied about the amount of money they'd fundraised, overstating the amount by just a couple million, but hey, no big. Haley is likely to scrap with Scott in South Carolina and only further divide the small percentage of South Carolinians that aren't already solidly on board with Trump. We also have the entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy and Donald Trump, obviously. As far as other possible Republican candidates to keep an eye out for, there's, of course, our very own. A Florida man who needs no introduction, Ron DeSantis, who has yet to declare, but as you will see in our next segment, has been very busy going to war with Mickey Mouse, potentially building a prison next to Disney, and uh, signing a heinous abortion bill, but you'll hear more about that later. Trump's former VP, Mike Pence, as well, the guy whose own party wanted to hang him, is still a potential candidate in the 2024 race. So we'll see what he does. And then we actually also have a potential candidate to eliminate Mike Pompeo, who we thought would be on our list has officially ruled himself out after a busy book tour, claiming that it just quote, wasn't our moment. So see you later, Mike Pompeo. We won't be talking about you anymore. So far, the only candidate running on an even remotely anti-Trump platform is Asa Hutchinson. But either way, it's likely Ron DeSantis is the only potential candidate with a shot at the nomination other than Trump. The rest will be just fighting for table scraps, as you'll see when we get to the polls. With such a crowded field and with Trump still so dominant, it's likely that more competition will play to his strengths and give him an advantage, and that realistically, many of the Republican candidates are running for VP. On a recent episode of far-right lunatic, Charlie Kirk's podcast, he floated the idea out there that it's pointless to even have a Republican primary at all. It's just too much money that should be invested in other places. Trump will be top of the ticket, Charlie Kirk says, no matter what. And a primary would just serve to waste time and, like I said, as well as money. And to prove his point about Trump's dominance, he played clips from the 2016 Republican primary of Trump bullying and belittling Jeb Bush, among other Republican candidates, and not talking any serious policy. But that's not really what Republicans are looking for. They're not looking for someone who can seriously talk policy. They're looking for someone who can talk shit and seem like an alpha. But Charlie Kirk aside, there are many people whose views don't differ largely from his on this specific thing. 
in the sense that they think a crowded primary will not benefit anybody else except for Trump because it'll play to his strengths and just reestablish his dominance as the head of the party, which will only further assure that Trump will ultimately be the guy who wins the Republican nomination again. Should the Republicans have a primary that court hearings or a prison cell doesn't bar Trump from attending? And I really hope they do because there's nothing funny or new on Comedy Central anymore. It's just reruns of The Office. I can't say that this primary will turn out any differently than Kirk is saying. I mean, the Republican base just really isn't interested in a substance-filled primary where candidates debate civilly and answer policy questions. They just want someone who they know is the alpha to them, who will fight for them, allegedly. And in their minds, that guy's Donald Trump. So now let's take a look at the polls for the Republicans. A poll from Morning Consult puts Trump ahead by a commanding 29 points, securing 53% of the vote, with DeSantis coming in at 24%. And after that, you just have a steep drop-off that puts Pence at 7%, Haley, after all that money that she lied about having and all that fundraising, at 4%, Ramaswamy at 3%, and Exploratory Committee Scott at 1%. A YouGov poll shows Trump similarly ahead by a dominating amount, this time 23 points, taking 53% of the vote to DeSantis's 30%. And lastly, a poll that I got from 538 that aggregated a few polls together, their average, at least as of April 18th, which as of my recording, this is yesterday, Trump has 49.9%, DeSantis has 25.3%, Pence has 5.9%, and Haley has 3.9%. So it really is Trump and DeSantis And DeSantis just doesn't seem to be doing well for himself, and Trump just seems to be surging on ahead. Although I will stand by the belief that getting indicted is not something that could really ever in any world help you out politically, but it does seem that it damages a guy like Trump the least. So that was a lot, but like I said, it's a crowded field and it's looking to get more crowded. We'll move on to the Democrats where the field is a little less crowded. No worries because we've still got some action. So starting with the leader of the Democratic Party, as well as the current incumbent president, Joe Biden. So while Biden is expected to be on the top of the ticket for the Democrats, he hasn't made anything official. That was until the annual Easter egg roll at the White House, where he confided personally, man to man in Al Roker, as well as the millions of people who tune into the Today Show that, quote, I plan on running, Al, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. So just something said in confidence, you know what I mean? Many members of the Democratic base worry about Biden's age going into a second term. He'd be in his late 80s by the end of term number two. Although his doctors have ruled him fit for duty as president, but the question of his age is not likely to go away anytime soon, as much as I would like it to. On the same token, many Democrats see Biden as a surefire way to defeat Donald Trump in a likely rematch between the two. He's done it before, and I think they're just potentially frightened to to put up anybody else. Why not just put up the sitting incumbent president who has a track record that he can run on, that has beaten Trump before, and can hopefully beat him again. So should Biden run as he's expected to, history, as well as the current state of the Democratic Party, tell us it's almost guaranteed he'll secure the nomination. Though as 2016 taught us, 
stranger things have happened. But looking at who's opposing him within the Democratic Party, I'd say it would take quite the turn of events for someone to come out on top of Biden. But either way, let's dig into his competition anyway. We spoke last episode about the entrance of Marianne Williamson, a self-help author and former spiritual advisor to Oprah, and her entrance into the Democratic race. Williamson also ran in 2020, and although she has emerged as one of few rivals to Biden for the Democratic nomination, her candidacy seems like a long shot. And our last prospective candidate, I was excited, I waited all episode to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> before we look at the polls, um, there's a man entering for the Democrats, and this is a man who needs no introduction. A guy that we love to hate and whose father we just spent the last year talking to you about. He's another one who went off the deep end during COVID-19, and I'm not sure if we'll ever get him back. None other than Robert F. Kennedy Jr. That's right. Bobby Kennedy Jr., believe it or not, is running as a Democrat. This is something that Kevin and I have puzzled over because on its face, obviously it makes sense because after all, the Kennedys have had a long and successful run with the Democrats. JFK, of course, was president, RFK as senator and presidential candidate who was assassinated in 1968 by Sirhan Sirhan, though not if you ask Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Gotta love a guy who can spin conspiracy theories about even his own father's assassination. So Sirhan Sirhan is innocent, guys. I I don't know what you think you saw. And then, of course, there's Ted Kennedy, who served on the Senate for literally ever. And even Grandpa Joe Kennedy Sr., sometimes people forget, uh, worked for a Democratic administration under FDR. But at the same time, RFK Jr., ideologically speaking, has come across as more right-wing in things that he's said and done regarding vaccines. Charlie Kirk, who, like we said, conservative nut job, invited RFK Jr. on his podcast and has expressed his support for a showdown between RFK Jr. and Joe Biden in the primary, which is not exactly something that would endear you to the Democratic electorate and not exactly the guy that you want an endorsement from. A little bit of background on RFK Jr., though, because he at least deserves that. Before making highly insensitive false equivalencies between COVID-19 vaccine mandates and the Jewish population of Europe and what they endured during the Holocaust, RFK Jr. did have a long and successful career as an environmental lawyer, though even before COVID, he was a known critic of vaccines. Nonetheless, the number of cases he pursued to preserve and fight for a clean environment makes one think that perhaps the Green Party might have been a better match for him. But of course, running third party isn't a path to victory in American politics, unfortunately, and he's a Kennedy, so he of all people should should know what a path to victory looks like. But regardless, with the draw that he got and still continues to get from conservative Americans, RFK Jr. almost feels like a man without a country. It's almost, it's, it's hard to pigeonhole him uh, comfortably in in any of the two major political parties. At least I feel that way. Ultimately, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning the nomination. But I will say, should he somehow overcome the odds and become the second Kennedy to be the leader of the free world, you had better believe that Fauci will be thrown in jail on the first day of that administration. And hey, you know what? That might even do a little bit at chipping away at the divide between Republicans and Democrats. Who knows? As far as the polls go, though, 
if you thought Trump was blowing out the competition, Biden is doing that even more so. And this obviously makes sense because there's not, of course, a personality cult built around Biden like there is around Trump, but he's the head of his party and the incumbent president. So not many serious politicians have come out to oppose him. Just to give you at least a bit of a sense, though, with one poll, Race to the White House puts Biden's polling average at 71.4%. So this leaves Kennedy with 10% and Williamson with 5.8%, with 12.8% of people still undecided on who they would vote for. Like I said, I'm definitely tired of hearing about Biden's age, but it will definitely play some kind of role in the Democratic primary. What kind of role and how significant is still kind of jury still out on that one. It's highly probable that even were somebody concerned about Biden's age, if he winds up on the ballot, Democrats are going to vote for him. That about wraps up the state of the field for our April show. So now to shift our focus to some current events surrounding Florida man Ron DeSantis, as well as to welcome our guests from the podcast America, The Conversation. All right, so we're here with Tim and Andrew from America, The Conversation. Tim and Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, yeah, man. Great to be here. Appreciate you having us. So we got a whole agenda of a bunch of things that we want to talk about in DeSantis land as well as with the GOP in general. But we just wanted to start with a couple opening questions, first of all, and arguably most importantly, which is why we had it first. What's your favorite nickname for Ron DeSantis? He's starting to accrue a lot of them. I think it's important that we kind of set our feet in the sand as far as which ones are the best. I'm a meatball Ron guy. I don't know about you. <laughs> Andrew. I see you're a man of culture with meatball Ron. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I mean, the italophobia gets a little too hard on me. You know, I'm a, I, mm. I'm a European mutt of multiple peoples and nations uh, from my ancestry. So I feel bad for our good Italian friends uh, with meatball Ron. I think that that's a slight, a little bit. I, I mean, I like Pudding Fingers the best, but I know that Tim is a big fan of Pudding Fingers. I will say my least favorite is DeSanctimonious, just because it's a mouthful. Oh, really? But the yeah. rebranding mm. with DeSanctus, I'm liking that from Donnie. I'm liking the DeSanctus rebranding, because we all know what that means. <laughs> and you don't have to hear the mouthful. Yeah, I do like Meatball Ron, but specifically because I heard on y'all's show that it's just that his face is so red, it looks like marinara. It's not necessarily <laughs> telephobia. It's just that he's just like he I think Trump was hungry and he's like, oh, that's yeah, a meatball. Oh, I need. Meatballs. Yeah, the italophobia might be giving too much credit to Donald Trump. Like it's I, just his right. face was red. Isn't <laughs> Look, I think that this is the biggest upset for the Italian people since Chris Pratt was assigned as Mario voice casting. Oh I, Lord. Oh yeah. That's even I, this is, this is, this is a, a dark day that will live in infamy for the Italian people. <laughs> and I was going to say too, I mean, if we were going to accuse uh, anyone of italophobia or any kind of xenophobia for meatball Ron, I mean, I think we first have to apologize that Italians even have to recognize Ron DeSantis as being remotely <laughs> Italian in the first place. Fucking a. Oh my gosh. But with that being said, our, our our next question for you is is what do you think is going on with DeSantis lately? I mean, why is he not drawing appeal among Republicans? I mean, this guy was lauded by voices like Charlie Kirk as America's governor. He was seen to be the guy who's fighting yeah. all the right culture wars. Why is he slipping lately? What what's been going on with him? In in well, your view? Part first uh, thing that is happening, at least in Florida, he's slipping with them because he's running for president. 
like they don't like it. He didn't show up in Fort Lauderdale um, when, you know, they, they just went through a hurricane um, and it was underwater. Um, it, he's been I don't think he's been back in a while. He was just in D.C. like trying to win favor with with some Republicans and one person went even as far as to say after a great meeting with Ron DeSantis I'm just decided to throw my full endorsement behind Donald Trump (laughs) like so like it's just it doesn't it I don't he's just he's a wet blanket he's a he's a boxy looking weirdo who is like he's got a bunch of like he's all of the stuff came out about him so quick and it's a lot of weird stuff like the pudding fingers thing right like he eats pudding with his fingers that's a real thing like two aides confirmed it or some <laughs> something like that I mean, like, the cool um, ones, right yeah ex- right like get a spoon man just <laughs> Look, I'm, use I'm a spoon a, i'm a There's deplorable a thing- human being but I, <laughs> I i do that in the privacy of my own home i eat my pudding with my fingers in the privacy of my own home yeah. not on a plane yeah, that's yeah. What a, a man does with putting up in the cup in the privacy of his own home is one thing, but when you're doing it out in public, like <laughs> exactly, I don't want to see that. You know, it makes me feel awkward. Exactly. Yeah. There yeah. is one thing too, like that. Like it's another thing of him just being kind of insufferable. Aside from the fact that the stories of his grooming came out, he's a Guantanamo torturer, but um, it's hilarious in, in a weird, messed up way. He would go out on dates in college, and he would say, "I like." Thai food on a date, Thai food, but he would pronounce the TH and when someone would correct him, he would make up an excuse and leave because he didn't want to be corrected by a woman. That is Mm. the kind of person this guy is. And Trump just also has charisma. Like, Santos, George, George de Sanctimonious, whatever, not George Santos, uh, Ron de Sanctis, whatever. Uh, He's, they're both bad. He, Ron, zero charisma. Like when it comes Plot to us, is they're the yeah. same guy. Right they're the, the same end. guy. Oh my god! Oh, they're Hannah Montana. Oh my god! Yeah. Ultimate George. George Santa. was on <laughs> Hannah Montana allegedly. He's the greatest actor of a generation, y'all. I would say though, and Tim gave you a lot of great reasons on policy, on his recent actions. You know, on the fact that magnifying somebody under the the magnifying glass of a presidential run releases a lot of information mm. about them quickly. Those are all great points, Tim. And I accept them and, and I register them and I appreciate them. He ain't got the Riz. Yo, he ain't got he ain't got the mojo. Yeah. He ain't got the love. Like that's what it really riz. comes down to. Mm-hmm. Like he is to make another great pop culture reference for y'all, he is the Snoke to Palpatine somehow returned, right? Like he is a generic clone <laughs> copy of Donald Trump. Spoiler and he's not fun. For... <laughs> like for all for all the horrible things about Donald Trump and audience, Donald Trump is a horrible person that does not deserve to be anywhere near levels of power. At least Donald Trump is unexpected. He's a reality show host. He's he's a he's crazy. You never know what he's going to say. He's fun. He makes jokes. He humiliates himself and does and isn't self-aware about it. Ron DeSantis is boring. Like he's mm-hmm. he's Donald Trump on Ambien. And that's the worst thing I've ever heard as, as a character building, like building a candidate. Like the main thing that you want from a candidate, an ideal candidate is somebody who's charming, somebody who is able to walk up to somebody who's crying or criticizing them or asking for hope and give them that hope. On camera, preferably, if you're their campaign manager. Ron DeSantis cannot do that. He is incapable. He is another person like, you know, Elon Musk, like Bezos, like a lot of these people that has that lizard skin atmosphere to them, right? That are completely separated from what the rest of us lived as lives. And I can't speak to, you know, I'm not a mental health professional. I can't speak to what's going on inside Ron DeSantis's head. But what I can speak to is he has absolutely zero riz, zero game, zero fire to spit. The man is boring 
and I think that it really got highlighted recently. Now, the donor class loves him, but the base wants their red meat. Do the they? The base wants their entertainment. They really do want the their orange meat. Like them? <laughs> they they, they delicious, do, yeah. Delicious, well done, fast food, I mean, cold steak. My thought, my thought is like the thing we always heard with DeSantis was that he was Trump without the baggage. And I just mm. think Republicans are fine with the baggage. And they even like don't mm-hmm. even see it as baggage. Most Agreed. Most Republicans. There's like a very... I think reasonably sized number of Republicans who don't like the baggage, but I think there's way, way more who just don't really care. <laughs> and I think when I it comes to certain things, like they uh, identified okay. Trump's baggage as their baggage. Like, okay, if you know they can yeah. take there him to, to to court, you know, for the whole stormy Dan <laughs> and, all, and all that yada yada yada, then it, it, you know we must be next. You know, so this yeah. is the guy that's going to fight. So that they don't get us next. It's that Futurama line of like, you. Do, I, I don't want you going after rich people because I might be rich someday or something like that. Like, I don't yeah. want to like when I'm rich, I'll show them like, no, that, that's you're, it's such a it's a the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of mentality like that. You all can be, you know, like Donald Trump or Bill Gates or who Well, not. They're not comparable people. I'm sorry. <laughs> one is actually rich and one is not. But uh, like, you it's it's just this mythos that they've created and like god it's so weird how people cling to it and make it their personality like that was what blows my mind a lot of the time especially in the south like stickers flags everywhere maga flags oh yeah you name it yeah i promise you it's in the north and midwest as well i promise yeah and i love expressions too. this whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps and on, on a recent episode of your show you had actually broken down (laughs) <laughs> that expression can you do that here briefly for us because that was really yeah, <laughs> enlightening yeah the idea behind the original saying is like it's, it's supposed to be a joke it's saying do the impossible like well you got to do the impossible sometimes because when you're stuck in the mud with your cowboy boots you can't pull yourself out of the mud by yanking on the boot that's stuck in the mud like that's not how that's going to work like <laughs> it's impossible to do you have to have help to get out of that situation you need help so you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It is literally supposed to be an ironic phrase. But with that being said, I mean, I think that the the moniker of he's Trump without the baggage is what the donor class believed. And, and maybe that is a good moniker for him. But like y'all said, I, I don't think when I was bartending in Texas in 2017 and I was talking to people doing my best to do class consciousness with people that are center and far right without saying that I'm doing it. Three out of four people were supportive of every action trump did there always was a reason that it was okay it was good it was the right thing to do one out of every four went yeah that's pretty bad but you know i like my taxes are lower but three-fourths of the republican base it's not baggage it's what they want it's a culture mm-hmm. war it's what they it's what they crave it's what fox news has been shoveling into their mouths since before the iraq wars when we were all kids and at this point it is a fixation that they are trying to get we just saw multiple people get shot this week due to errors and people being afraid of people opening their car door or knocking on their front door of their house or turning into their driveway because, and this is a direct correlation, they are watching 24-hour right-wing news networks Mm -hmm. and being told that the world is this crazy, dangerous place. And the only one who speaks to that, the only one who's willing to throw coal on that fire is Donald Trump. And that's the baggage that the Donner class is thinking about. They don't care that he's rude or crude or crass or that he has horrible right wing fascist policies. They like some of them. It's that he he gives away the game. Right. He, he doesn't dog whistle. He air horns. And the base voted for him because he's an air horn. 
because he's yelling out the things that they don't get to say in public company, but they say all the time when they're down with their friends. So, yeah. And Ron DeSantis looks, looks like the guy that's picking on Disney and gay people like that. Like Trump's not picking on gay people. He is trying to, what is he? He wants to make being trans illegal or something. If he becomes a uh, president again, I, something horrible, like something that, weird but, like that. Yeah. But I mean, he's, yeah. he, he's done a lot of horrible policies, including when he was president for the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say like he ran on like LGBTQ plus people for Trump. Like that was a big, I remember the photo of him holding a rainbow flag and smiling. Like he's going to say whatever the populist wants to say if he thinks it's popular, you know, Mm -hmm. his policies are going to be hardcore anti-right wing and hardcore anti-trans. I promise you if he gets back into office, but any Republican would. So (laughs) yeah, that's that's pretty much the, maybe not what's his name? John Kasich. He's maybe the only one (laughs) like, well, even then, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, and it's I wonder, up with that guy, but yeah, I wonder well, the one the, thing with the Trump great that's hope, John. Yeah, Kasich. right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one thing that's interesting about this time around with Trump is that I think one of the things that happened last time around with Trump is all a lot of those promises that he made on the campaign trail. The reason he reverted them was because he had a staff that was like essentially Republican Party regulars. Mm. And I wonder, like, how many Republican Party regulars are there left that he hasn't already fired from his administration? You know, like, it seems like this time around, it's just going to be like buddies of his. Like, it's just mm-hmm. going to be like Mike Lindell and like Rudy Giuliani as like, you know, sick of ants. Yeah. yeah, like general and secretary of state or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, those guys are sort of just going to do whatever Donald Trump wants to do. And I think that's from one perspective, like from the perspective that you guys are talking about it probably means a lot of those populist policies some of them will just be followed through with but i think it also means for like the democracy aspect of things that the next time there's a situation where it's like hey can the vice president try to just like rip up the electoral votes and like declare the election for the other guy um like at least this time around they'll try right oh yeah well and i think you'll still see stephen miller and steve bannon in that white house roger stone Mm -hmm. right i think they'll still be a lot of these classically neocon right wing bordering fascist people that are making policy, right? Like, yeah, there won't be, there may not be the Bush friend, you know, donor in the room like Steve there was Mnuchin last time. And stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. there, there may not be these one percenter, like classic old school Republicans, old money Republicans, but that doesn't mean we're not going to get a, a, a right wing, even farther right than those people want administration. Because while it may not be the typical Republican, talking points i can guarantee you right now sitting in a room with a majority of donors or republican donors from having met plenty of them they don't want to talk about abortion they don't want to talk about trans issues they want to push that to the side let that be Mm. states issues if they want to do that in certain states but they don't want to talk about a national abortion ban that is the base that is the evangelical base pushing that onto the donors and making them do it as a promise because the republicans unlike the democratic party are afraid of their base yeah. And take it seriously. Nikki Haley just came out in favor of abortion I, loosely or something like that, that we need to stop fighting this or something like she said she what the base Trump barely, said it was a barely what she needed to. Yeah, Trump yeah they, it they've really been backing down on a lot of that stuff like the, mm-hmm. the nationwide bans, I think, are becoming basically toxic for for the party. I yeah. think it's, you know, everyone's just backing away from it because it's just harmful to their own brand basically yeah i mean they know right now the evangelical base is not going to allow that though like they've they've they have been chasing this car as a dog for 45 50 years right as a political movement and now they've caught the the car 
Like <laughs> they've got their mouth on it and they're not going to give up until they get a national abortion ban. That well, is what maybe, their base is going to be pushing for. Then maybe you could add some insight on this because I'm just kind of interested. Like DeSantis in all this turmoil with the weather came back to Florida and kind of silently signed that six week abortion bill. Why isn't he getting his kudos from the base for that? Like it's, it seems like a lot of the people who are either currently running or potentially running are kind of almost denouncing it or distancing themselves from it. That, that, that seemed kind of bizarre to me. Maybe it canceled it out. Like his shittiness of being a shitty candidate. Like they were like, yeah, you did that one thing, but that's the bare minimum. What we want all Republicans to do basically. Uh, That's my two cents on it. But like they, I don't know. Yeah, that is, that is kind of weird that they didn't like, hey, we uh, we banned ab- abortion then, versus them shouting about, like, you can't talk about being gay until you graduate. <laughs> like, well, I, I, think, I think it is that. It is par for the course, first off. Like, that's what he's expected to do if you're a Republican governor right now yeah, after the overturn exactly. of Roe v. Wade. But also, I think that more to the point even than that is that Donald Trump is a political anomaly. He's a typical Republican in a lot of ways, but he is a political anomaly in that he sucks all the air out of the room. And the Republican pundit class and the Republican base has one messiah, right? It is a cult of personality. (laughs) And in a normal Republican primary, I can see DeSantis rocketing to the top for getting that, you know, bill passed. But right now, even if the leaders in the evangelical community, even if the donor class really wants DeSantis to shine, People at their kitchen tables that are Republican families are sitting around and talking about the fact that the deep state is coming for Donald Trump with this indictment. That is what they're talking about. They're not Mm -hmm. talking about any of the issues that are important to them, really, because Mm -hmm. it's become a reality show. So while you have to support those issues and you have to act on them through legislation, that is not as important to the base, even though it's important to the donor class. What's important to the base is that you get lib tears. That you make the liberals upset, that you get on CNN making Don Lemon cry and scream, that you make Jake Tapper upset, that you make Rachel Maddow do a one hour long, you know, dossier on you. (laughs) Like that is what makes the base of the Republican Party happy. And Donald Trump knows how to do that. And DeSantis has tried. I think that a lot of the anti LGBTQ stuff is solely to get him in the news. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. he actually cares. I don't think most Republican elites do. I think that it is to throw red meat at the base and to get in the news. But I don't know. I I have been of the opinion since Donald Trump has been indicted, and we talked about this on our podcast. He has the Republican nomination wrapped up. Yeah, I, I, DeSantis I is not that. getting it. Like it, he hasn't even announced. That's the other thing. Like yeah, it, it, yeah. Like he he hasn't even announced an exploratory committee. Like even like uh, uh, the what's her name the the wizard lady who's running in the Democratic Party. She's announced. Oh, uh, Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson. The yeah, like she's lady. straight up running. Be uh, nice <laughs> to my crystal mommy. Don't be mean to my crystal mommy. <laughs> to God would prefer her over Donald Trump. I mean, she'd pull us out of all wars. She would universal do universal health care. And I, I don't know. She may not be a bad I'm idea. Going to write an alternate fiction where Marianne Wilson, <laughs> Williamson beat George Bush in 2000. Oh, God. And we're going to see a different world. <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, she was Oprah Winfrey's <laughs> spiritual advisor. Like, yeah. That, that's somebody Oprah that you can trust. Oprah seems to be doing pretty that, well for herself. <laughs> I would say it works that. works for Oprah, you know. <laughs> But no, like if you but if you announce that you're going to run, you have to pay taxes. So like I can't see him running like on like the campaign itself. So I can't see him announcing before the next uh, before 2024. 
but he might. I don't know. Like if he really feels like he's got it, but right now he's getting like he's getting pudding finger ads against him versus the guy who's been running since he got unelected, like day after or something like that. Like well, and he is campaigning. He he was up here in New Hampshire a couple days ago. Uh, He had Jews against DeSantis as a group interrupt his speech. Um, Oh wow! uh, Yeah, he was in New Hampshire. Why go up there? It's the first primary in the nation. Oh duh! Yeah, that's right. I mean, from my understanding. It seems like he's waiting to announce until after this Florida legislative session lets out, which I think is around May oh. 5th. So I, I I think that might be the reason for him mm. holding out. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's helping him at all. Like, I, I don't know if he should change strategies or or what. But I think he'll lose Florida, like much like Al Gore lost Tennessee. Like, I think this God, he will, if so he runs, if he for some reason did like, I think he'll lose Florida in the primary. And if for some reason he gets the nomination, he'll lose Florida in the general. They're, they oh, do not that. like that. He's they don't like that. He's running. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. That's a Republican. Uh, state, yeah. But, Florida. But is yeah, the he'll lose the primary. He'll get it. But but in yeah. the primary. Yeah, I, I do think Donald yeah. Trump will take it. Yeah. For sure. It's, it's also arguably Donald Trump's home state. You know, and so, dude, fair and, enough. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and who's that. who's really in charge? Let's be honest. Oh, God. Uh, hey, yeah. Can we also That's talk why... about, too, one of the things that he is doing currently in Florida, which is going to war with the, I think, the biggest employer, right? Uh, <laughs> um, Disney up there, in Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So 430,000 jobs or something like that. And they bring in $75 billion in taxes. I, I think that's the number. Uh, it's it's in that vein. Uh, it's but, definitely yeah, the majority <laughs> of Orlando's tax revenue. I promise oh, yeah. you that. Yeah. So he's been going oh, yeah. after them, doing some shit talking. I mean, I, I have my own theories about that. But um, I mean, just for those of you listening that might not know, um, ever since Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed what became known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, Disney put out something against it. And then... DeSantis took that personally and has been trying to go after their tax exempt status and the land that they own. And he came out and said that whole thing about, you know, hey, you know, we can, you know, maybe we'll put another uh, roller coaster there or maybe we'll put a state prison. And I mean, my whole my whole theory on that was he was almost like because like you said, I mean, he's so awkward and he doesn't know what he's doing Mm -hmm. and he's ass at retail politics and. I mean, I, I think on the last episode of our DeSantis series, I said his voice isn't that annoying. I want to redact that here. It's <laughs> annoying as hell. <laughs> I can't stand it. But I do think that whole bit about building a state prison near Disney was almost him trying on like the Trump shoes. Like, like hey, like if I shit talk the way he does, like, will that work? Will people react to it? Yeah. And I, I thought it was so funny seeing all those articles of people saying, Oh, oh you know, DeSantis is going to open up a prison, you know, next to Disney. No, he's not, you know, he's, no, he's, not. he's talking <laughs> trash and uh, it's just, it's just not working because well, I mean, I mean he just, he's just a cheap knockoff of Trump. This comes back to my original Riz point, right? I, I think that the Riz. the Riz, the, the, the drip, like he doesn't Zaz. have, yeah, the, the mojo, he doesn't got it. <laughs> And, I, you know, like, let's 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 do a thought experiment. Imagine Trump was governor of Florida and this happened with Disney. What Trump would have done is he would have sued them, talked about how it's going to be the biggest lawsuit ever. And then he would have never talked about it again. He would have taken the win and it would have been the, the next biggest lawsuit in the world. Like he's done a thousand times and he would have moved on to a winning subject. Now, the difference is, is the insult would have been the confidence, right? Like, maybe I'll build a prison there. I, I don't know. Versus like. Maybe we'll have a prison. Maybe, maybe I'll just dig a big toxic hole. We gotta put the radiation somewhere, don't we, folks? Don't we? Like, there's, there's an attitude of like, 
well, well, the goober like responding reactionary yeah. to like Trump brushing everything off as if like it's a minor inconvenience to him. Like, I don't know, maybe it, maybe I'll just build a second Guantanamo in Orlando, a second Guantanamo. Yeah. Like you can see him immediately just making it another bit that the audience is just like, yes, eating it up. As opposed to DeSantis, which is very Jeb Bush energy, like please clap. Insecure, please. Yeah, he seems insecure with it all. Like he's like, I, he's not one. He keeps getting his ass handed to him every single time. Like I mean, so much so that Disney more or less screwed uh, what screwed them out of their council, uh, basically, and signed a perpetuity law that can't end until the last surviving member of King Charles. Like so, he's not going to win this. But it also it sucks because like now it's being forcing us to like kind of root for a corporation, but like mm-hmm. not you can like Andrew said to me earlier, like you can still watch these two idiots fight and just like be glad when the worst one <laughs> wins, basically. And right. that's I mean, I just don't I, I don't know how this is. This has been a funny one to watch. I don't know how it's going to turn out. It's not going to turn out well for him. The one thing I know it did is made Disney, I think as a whole, say they're not going to donate to Republicans anymore. Like he just screwed all the GOP out of any sort of ABC Disney political donations. So good job. Well, good job for us, I guess. But like bad job for them. But I I just I don't know how it could end. Like they I know North Carolina is trying to lure Disney there. Never going to happen. Way too much infrastructure to pack up and take. Exactly. What are you going to do with that entire park that they just spent 10 years building Star Wars land for $50 billion or whatever? Like, right, right. It's never going to happen. But Epcot on a flatbed. (laughs) Put it all inside the big ball and just roll (laughs) it up (laughs) North Carolina. It can not be that hard to, and not that I would ever suggest anyone in America would do this, but to buy off state Florida legislatures to go against his, in his own party than it would be as opposed to like give in to whatever his demands are right disney is a megalith it's a monolith of a power like and in florida and if desantis rubs them the wrong way enough they'll just do what they're doing like not only will they pull funding but they'll start Mm. saying all right if you don't go against the governor if you're a republican we're gonna start funding your opponents on the democratic side like they will make those threats in the back Mm -hmm. halls of power in boardrooms and bars and DeSantis will lose that fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that this is all a media grab, right? Like, this is him fighting, you know, the weird trans kids with purple hair. It's him trying to make the liberals cry, but he doesn't have the swagger for it. He doesn't mm-hmm. seem confident. And I'm sorry, whether it's politics or relationship or dancing or dungeon mastering, confidence is key, right? Nobody respects you when you're like, well, I guess maybe a prison. Like, you, you have to be like, well, um... I don't have to worry about Disney. They're not my constituents. Next question. Like the the idea of Mm. confidence is such a huge underrated value in politics and realpolitik. And he doesn't have it. Yeah. Like I, to be honest, the only people I've seen have it in the last few years are Trump, Sanders, Obama, Bush Jr. And, and Clinton, like Bill Clinton. Other than that, like the Democrats and Republicans have a very shallow bench of politicians that are actually, charming that you'd want to grab a beer with yeah i mean dude every president has been charming objectively like i I would say every single one of them has not charming maybe not totally charming with like nixon but like people you respect uh and like people like you you can i don't know see them being president like versus people who are like him a wet 
fucking blanket or Hillary who said Pokemon go to the polls or Oof. <laughs> was a Bobby Jindal who released that weird video of him telling his kids he's going to run for president in their backyard and they didn't fucking care at all. And that was his first ad. One of my favorites just to nerd out quickly, but also with DeSantis, he's pissed off every junior and senior in high school now and as well as any Disney fan ever. Do you realize yeah. the amount of Disney adults that exist in Florida? My God, like it, you know, all these juniors and seniors are going to graduate in the next year or two or at least just be 18. And you have just you've created a monster. Like, like, good job, dummy. This is like a, a Game of Thrones, like fog sets in as just hundreds of thousands of Disney team. adults. Yeah. Like <laughs> shuffle out in Mickey Mouse caps to go vote this fall. And if we're talking cinema here, I, I just think that uh, it's it's such a missed opportunity because Disney and Marvel. I mean, I don't, I don't want to step on any toes here, but I just personally think that they've been churning out crap movies for years now. I mean, I think the last Avengers or like any Marvel movie I really watched with the superheroes in it was like the first Avengers. I mean, it's Mm. it's just product placement, um, CGI porn and just no (laughs) storylines whatsoever. And it sucks. So in a way, I almost wish that they would join forces because like DeSantis is the perfect Disney villain right now. Like Disney's finally decided, hey, we probably (laughs) shouldn't be racist anymore. Hey, we probably should make films that are inclusive of other cultures um we should probably make films that you know even if they're set in like a different location don't just have like white people there <laughs> um yeah and desantis <laughs> this island the in the middle guy. of the pacific <laughs> and there's all white people, white there. people. <laughs> like like desantis would be the perfect guy to go up against that like they could have you know a bunch of uh protagonists that you know are, are members of the lgbtq community and then like he's That's their just... he's their villain you know he's the Yo, Disney villain is a giant he's a perfect movie yeah i mean i, I think the <laughs> the onion even did a, a piece about it where it was like he settled things with disney because they finally cast him in the mandalorian and it's like that's it like oh, you know, yes. that, <laughs> you know when that, that would be it i mean i could just picture it to be he's he's oh. the perfect i mean but like I you mean, said, I mean, he would fall flat on his face, though, as soon mm-hmm. as he has to show up on the set for the first day of acting, <laughs> you know, but he wouldn't like, want to take uh, any direction. This guy all. sucks. <laughs> DeSantis is 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 what Beauty and the Beast would have been if the villain was Lafoe. Like if the villain, <laughs> like, like that's, that's the problem is like, yeah, he's a good villain. It's like an anti-Gaston. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not a he's he's not exactly like radiating like toxic masculinity to the point of being attractive almost like like most disney villains <laughs> like you know i may disagree with your colonialization but man that's a great chest and chest hair you got on you there like <laughs> hey i know you're representing the catholic church but you are a silver daddy i know that like there's a lot of disney villains that still come off as like sexy and powerful i don't get that from ron DeSantis. he's definitely more of a pixar villain like i get lord farquaad like that's the energy that I get. <laughs> oh my the power God. move would be to have him be just like a giant meatball in your. In oh, your, as, that as would the be villain hilarious. <laughs> they've been they've been doing these Pixar shorts for a while on Disney Plus. This would be perfect for that. You don't even have to have dialogue. Just let it be a Tim, meatball trying to like stop Disney from doing. Tim, so much, you're going to be. Yeah. You're going to be Claudio real the mad. Chance of meatball, Ron. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be real mad in like six weeks, Tim, when you have to fight a giant sentient meatball named Ron oh, in D and D. So <laughs> I gotta roll into this game. <laughs> Get a character sheet made up. Let me know. You can stop by. Hell yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna be dealing with him for a long time. I think. Like uh, I may like well if the if the youth get rid of him after. I don't know the laws when it comes to running for president with governor because sometimes I think you have to like step down to run, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I could have that could be completely wrong. I don't, I don't think you have to step down to run. You just have you, you don't? just okay. have to step down if you want, basically. Oh, okay. So you yeah. can't run. Then for he's just going to get. So I, I, I kind of zero percent approval rating. If he doesn't actually win the Republican primary, at a minimum, I think we'll all just forget about him in a couple of years. To be I honest, I hope so. I, I think really he'll hope. run for. Florida Senate whenever he gets a chance. I think that's his. Oh yeah, name. that's what Rick yeah, Scott that did. That might yeah. Be true. yeah, I'm curious yeah. what you guys think about this though, because I mean, we've definitely hammered the point home that he just doesn't got it from from a charisma perspective, and certainly yeah. doesn't make up for it in personality. But that specter of Trump just at the head of the party. I mean, what can any of these guys do if they want to advance against him? I mean, none of them seem. I mean, Asa Hutchinson kind of went after him a little bit. But other than that, none of them seem to have any kind of anti-Trump stance to them. They dance around it at best. You know, maybe DeSantis will occasionally make a veiled insult that you have to actually read into to get I don't know what it's like to pay porn stars off or something. Whatever yeah, said. exactly. Like, <laughs> how do you go against a guy like Trump? Because I, I, I tend to agree with even people like Charlie Kirk who say, what the hell is the point of having a primary? Trump will just mop the floor with all these people and get the nomination anyway. We'd be yep. better off spending our money in other places. And like, Charlie Kirk is right. That's like what, like, what, like how the hell do you go against this guy? I mean, it's it's uh, wild. Well, I, oh, well, to reference the specific moment that you were talking about where DeSantis was like, well, I don't know much about, you know, paying off a porn star. You know, Trump's response to that was to tweet out a truth, truth out of truth, whatever you call them saying, you know, when he was a teacher, he was hanging out with his high school students. Like he accused the man of being a pedophile. Like that was his response. Straight up. Yeah. Response. Which, which boom. And, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You can't fight fire with, a, you know, a light. With a breeze. nuke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you yeah, can't like, fight a nuke with a stick, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like the only way you could beat Trump, it would be either out Trump Trump or do like a true sister soldier moment. Like get up there and like tell the Republican base, like you are losing us America for the next four or five generations. If we keep pushing these culture war issues, if we keep electing con men like Donald Trump, I, that's the only two ways I could see anyone making a dent, changing the Fox News media narrative, convincing some donors to jump behind them. Because if you come at this, you know, half ass. <laughs> Donald Trump is going to scorch you like mm -hmm. that is all he's been known for since 1975 is that his burn book, like the ability <laughs> that he's a mean girl and he will destroy you. So the only way to win in this primary, I think, would become hard at him. But to be honest, I wouldn't try. Like if I were some rich, white Republican governor right now, I'd be like, seems like 2028 might be my year. No, mm -hmm. The only way they're going to get him is if they like if he's charged with a felony. That that's their only yeah. hope of him not getting <laughs> right. You're right. If you're charged, you can't run right. Like or no, not charged. No, yeah, he's being charged. So. Convicted. Uh, that's can, the one. If he's can, convicted, I think he can run no matter what. Yeah, you, you can run for it, prison. It, People have. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is uh, a constitutional. Oh, I thought you couldn't question. hold the office at that it point. It is a constitutional question on whether Son or not you're of convicted a of a felony. 
especially a state felony versus a federal felony, uh, which is what he's in, being charged for for two of the cases. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I, I mean, like, I, the best thing you can do, like, as a joke, I say donate to Alvin Bragg as a Republican candidate right now. Donate to the <laughs> attorney general of, of Georgia. Like, I, I think that those are your options. Uh, no, no. They're the two different cases. Oh, yeah. Sorry, uh, both. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He has four, remember? He has four, yeah. It's, it's hard to keep them all straight when he's got four indictments, one of well, them just being 34 and, felonies. And if you do want to keep it straight, you can check out America, the Conversations Indicted special episodes, which will be covering all the charges against the former president that are being laid out over the next year. Uh, but that being said, I, I think that there is so no many. way to stop Trump unless you came at it with brutal honesty, which I don't think anyone in the Republican Party. No, they're all you spineless. Need, you need to lose you your Trump sense him? of shame, throw away your, your reputation, you know, just yes, be willing to exactly anything he accuses you of like, oh, you know, you're in that picture with uh, those high school girls. Yes, I was. The party was lit because I brought the alcohol. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, there goes question. my next, next question. question. What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, I think you have to go harder than that. I think the response would have to be something like, hey, I have half as many women accusing me of horrible things. Like something like that back yeah, at Trump. Yeah. Like, I, I think that you you would have to prove that because the moniker that Trump has, the image, the cult personality that he has within the base is what he puts on his NFT cards. Right. Like he's this skinny 185 pound slim man with 3 percent body fat and perfect hair that is like a superhero. Writing a lion. They, the, yeah. Writing an, a griffin, you know, as he carries Alvin Bragg across to Azkaban. Like that is Who's what that they political see? cartoonist who does the pictures of Trump. Do you guys know the guy I'm talking about? No. He does the pictures uh, of Trump and Trump always looks like this, like muscular. Oh, like, Ben Garrison. Yes. Ben Garrison. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Ben Garrison. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, he's got the brain worms and on, on the regular. He, man. Yeah. Quite, quite bad. I, I, I don't know. I think you would have to out Trump Trump. And I don't know anyone like Trump. Chris was Christie, so maybe, new. but I'd, he's nowhere close. Like he he's yeah, Chris we Christie only because before. he's a mafia kind of guy. And he's also like he's a bully, too. But like, you know, you all he's easy to take down. Trump could easily fat take jokes. him down. Like, Trump, Trump yeah, make I just don't think jokes. anybody really cares for for Chris Christie anymore. He's old. No. News. I don't think. Yeah. Like, I think his moment, if there was going to be a moment, would have been 2016. Okay. But he yeah. got outbullied by Trump. So yeah. and he's defending yeah. Trump right now. He's talking shit what? about DeSantis. Like, well, he, he, well so that's yeah, that's the other thing I think is a real <laughs> issue for all of these Republicans is they're in, they're in this catch 22. And we talked about this on our indictment episode, actually, where they have to lick Trump's boot. But, oh, yeah. Like in order to win votes. But but by licking Trump's boot, they're like inherently like sort of seeding the nomination to him, I feel mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. when DeSantis tweets out something about like, oh, I will, you know, not extradite Trump if he gets arrested or whatever. Right. Like he's inherently seeding that Trump is the leader of this party, not Absolutely. me. Yeah. And, and I should not have I said think it that. Just, yeah. But I mean, on the flip side, I feel like if he doesn't say it, then his base is like, well, why didn't you say anything about, you know, Donald Trump? Uh, why aren't you defending yeah. Donald Trump? Blah, blah, blah. And it's that's the situation that I think the party has put themselves in. Yeah, yeah they I, was actually, Aaron I was actually in favor. Speech, I was actually like... in favor of that uh, that tweet, though. And I think, oh. yeah, we we had, we had talked about that, but just to rehash, like, because I was in favor in the sense that that he thought it was good for DeSantis's image. That's what you mean, right? Because I okay. thought DeSantis was saying, like, I got to stand up for this guy because he can't stand up for himself. I'm the governor of Florida. He just lives here. And he's accused of being a criminal, but guess what? I'm not going to give him up because I'm the guy who's in a position that can stand up for him. 
So I, and I, if you had I a, thought, if you had a better I candidate mean, that could express that, you would be right. Like if you had a better right, candidate right. that could come out and be like, look. I respect the former president. He uh, he's worked really hard to get some conservative values put into legislation. And uh, I'm glad he did the work in his time. Unfortunately, his time has passed. And I'll protect him now that he needs my help as governor of Florida. And uh, Andrew's no, I a better can't answer DeSantis any questions about whether I'm running or not. Uh, but yeah, I will Andrew, be in New Hampshire next week. <laughs> like, yeah, Andrew, I'm going to say I'm going to cut you off. Uh, let's not give too much advice. No, yeah, to don't DeSantis give him here. more. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ronnie, Ronnie, I am for hire a, a cold 500K and you got me as a political advisor. Although with that being said, I mean, DeSantis, maybe you should hire Andrew. I mean, because that might be the best outcome for all of us, because then Trump would run third party. And then, of course, the Democrat would would oh, there you go. in a perfect world. But uh, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I'll, 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 leave, I'll leave you to sling your resume, Andrew, at your, you know, at your own uh, discretion. Hey, I'll take any help I can get slinging the resume. <laughs> so how do you feel about Good Disney? <laughs> Once again, I am an easily bribable man. Oh yeah. Disney. All right. <laughs> I'll sell my soul to Disney. Very, very yeah, you might, you might want to I'm here yeah. to write all of your star Wars. Yeah. To, to quote cousin Greg, what am I going to do with a soul anyway? So yeah, cause I was going to say, yeah, if you want to work for DeSantis, you might want to just throw on that resume. Like I thought frozen two sucked or something like that. I did not see that movie. And I, God, either did I, I just don't care. It's, it's, it's the, it's the one Pixar movie that broke me. I'm just, no. Yeah, well, y'all obviously Frozen aren't great. y'all obviously aren't dating in your adulthood with people That's that have true. children because I've seen Frozen two too many times. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Well, you can rest assured he won't become president. We can you you have our stamp of assur- borderline assuredness. <laughs> One and a half year later. <laughs> In a landslide victory, Ron DeSantis has won 300 electoral votes. All right. So, uh, like, yeah, God sticks his finger down through the clouds, Monty Python style, and and Joe Biden (laughs) and Donald Trump both die of a heart attack within 48 hours. Ron DeSantis could easily be president. Easily. He would beat Kamala Harris (laughs) in a second, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. So I guess in a way, perhaps you're saying, but not not directly saying that the only way for the Republican party to defeat Trump is for Trump to die. <laughs> an act yeah. of God, an act of God. An, an I, act the way God. I would phrase it. Yeah. yeah like yeah. when uh-huh. Trump is gone, then I like, I can't imagine. I honestly can't imagine a world without him at, at this point. Like it, it's one of those Rupert Murdoch and Logan Roy things where like, they're just never going to die. Like they're going to live forever. And it's just, I, I just like, I, I mean, I'm sure it'll like, be very similar to the day that like, Rush Limbaugh died for me and and the day that Henry Kissinger goes. Yeah, like, but Rush was dying for a long time, man. Like, so it wasn't that surprising. Like even Don, people live a long time, Tim. I don't know what to tell you. I got yeah. bad news. <laughs> I know people live a long time. That's what I'm afraid it's of. True. Like, ah, like if Rupert Murdoch keeps like he keeps reminding his employees, my mother lived to be 102, so you're not rid of me yet. I'm like, oh great. You're all trained accent four years. Your best accent, by the way. I just want to let the, you know. The here. best Rupert accent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tried. It's because it was it's not a good one because he's not kind of he's when he from England technically and then moved to Australia. I don't know. I I, I, I know that um, Ron DeSantis certainly has more possibility to be president than a lot of people right now. And that's why y'all are having this podcast on him. That's why we're talking about him like as silly as lacking Riz (laughs) as uncool as the guy is like. 
I think 2016 should be a lesson to every millennial and every Gen Zer that anyone can become president. Yep. Anyone. If you have name recognition and luck and timing and the ability to even spout English, I think you can become president <laughs> in this country. Mm-hmm. But I think predicting this game is a, fo- a fool's errand. I think that all we can say is that right now, if I were a betting man in Vegas, would I put down Donald Trump as the sure thing? Yeah. Yeah, I For would. Sure. Mm-hmm. But anything can happen. Like, who knows what the the aliens that have made the reality show that is Earth have planned for us coming up next. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great it, point. I mean, like, things change so quickly, and I think it's worth keeping in mind, mm-hmm. right? Like, Donald Trump is, you know, he is who he is, but he's also, like, what, almost 80 years old? Mm-hmm. Like, he could yeah. also just, like, you know, I don't wish death on people, but, like, he could also just die, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> totally. I had, I'll say this guy. I had Pete Buttigieg pinned to win back in 2016. That's how, that's uh, just to show you, like, how everything can change. Wait, Everybody's behind it. Yeah, when he was running, uh, wait, or not 20, sorry, not 2016, oh, tw- 2020. 2020. Okay. My bad. Uh, okay. uh, it's been a long time. That's a bold prediction. Uh, yeah, well, it's just because everybody was, was, he was young, he was gay, everyone was behind him, there was nothing that he could have done, and then he turned out to be just a shitty capitalist, and like taking money from big donors, blah, 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 and then I was like, oh no, well, oh, Bernie's running now, okay, he's gonna win. Then that didn't happen. You, you can't, I did not pick Joe Biden, that's for sure. I picked... At most, at like my three main ones, if they would have actually won, would have been Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, or Pete Buttigieg. Was were my and, and Andrew's laughing. Interesting, <laughs> yeah. Mike I, right now, those were my those were who I thought like that's like who I think could is maybe that who you liked or who them. you thought would have done I, not who I liked. I liked Bernie. Okay. Sanders. That's who you thought uh, was you know, okay. wow okay. thought yeah political gaming wise they they seemed like the uh, not sure things but like uh, there's a path there. But then when that, you know, Black Monday shit with everybody dropping out and screwing over Bernie happened, I'm like, oh, OK, well, Joe's going to win. Uh, that, yeah, I, th- that. I always thought it was a Joe Biden, <laughs> Bernie Sanders coin toss, basically. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I never I, I never I, saw I a see that for Elizabeth Warren. Unfortunately, yeah, she just was so like Bernie she, with mo- like so as much energy. And I, I don't know. I, I saw them together. Like that's that's what I really wanted. Uh, OK, truthfully, I, I, but. I, she I mean, she lost her own state like we were talking about earlier with Ron possibly doing oh, Florida. She did, didn't she? She did yeah. not win Massachusetts. Bernie did. I, but I, I mean, like I will say, like, I've been pretty good at predicting this. The only prediction I've gotten wrong at the presidential and primary level in the last 15 years has been Trump. I thought that Clinton would win a narrow victory. I was working for a third party that was working for her, you know, a, a, an independent organization that was essentially a mercenary group for field organizing. And there is no point until the Comey files dropped that I thought we were going to lose, especially after the uh, Hollywood Access video came out uh, of Trump. But other than that, I mean... I don't think the Democratic Party will let someone like Bernie Sanders win until we have someone no. who's young and charismatic and they have no choice but to let to win because they have such a big movement. That same movement Bernie had, plus a few more, probably plus more people of color and reaching out better than the, the Bernie campaign did to people of color, especially in South Carolina. They did a great job in the Southwest, but they did not do a good job on the East Coast and the South for that. But I think that the truth is, is the institutions and things that we trust in American society are still functioning, but they're slowly unraveling. 
And I think everyone under 45 can kind of sense that. That is why there is a turn away from capitalism being a holier than than thou kind of uh, ideology. That is why people like Bernie Sanders are rising up in the polls. That's why people like Donald Trump are rising up in the polls. People know that things are not going well. They're worried their kids are not going to have a better life than them for the first time in many generations for a lot of Americans. And with that unraveling, I think that it's hard to predict who's going to be the next president or win the primary in general. Mm -hmm. But I would always say make the safe bet in politics because seven times out of 10, (laughs) you're going to be right. And the safe bet is that it's going to be Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And Joe Biden will win that, that race, in my opinion, because there are too many people who are in the middle, too many people who gave Trump a chance the first time that are like, I don't want to wake up and read Twitter every morning about how the world's falling apart. Yeah. Right. And he's back on Twitter, folks. So. Yeah, and but no one else is. Yeah, that's true. True. <laughs> just came back to just an empty house where just everything was just flipped the fuck over and just right, right, right. What happened here? Well, just well the a bunch of bots is, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is he he is on Twitter, but he can't actually post because of like legal issues between his uh, like Truth Social or whatever. I don't know the specifics, but he so he's on Twitter, but he hasn't posted since his account got oh okay yeah Yeah. i think there's a few more months and then he's allowed to that that's what okay is he like signed an exclusivity deal with truth or something yeah he did that's his own thing though interesting (laughs) well he's on Uh, facebook and instagram i don't know if you did you all see that weird like six second video that he put up where it was just him saying where's hunter and then it was text trump to this number (laughs) it was was so bizarre it was 420 yesterday uh or at least when we were recording this. So yeah. I was I was high, obviously. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, what? is this just me? <laughs> or like, what is this? Where's Hunter? Like, where's Hunter? <laughs> and then it text, text Trump to 88 whatever. <laughs> so like, I don't even know. What train but... is this? What? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's one thing. I just can't get I, I, that, why I think they're not going to keep going. They, they don't ever seem serious. I'm like, and luckily, maybe that's one thing DeSantis hasn't been doing too, is trying to go after Hunter Biden's laptop. Maybe he needs to do more of that. I don't know. Cause that seems to be yeah. one thing that people only care about. I mean, it's good for a Republican primary, but it won't win you anyone in a general, no one cares uh, about Hunter Biden. That's not a, like a political nerd on the right. So like, can I just care. propose a hypothetical then real quick? So just to piggyback yeah. on what you said, Andrew, about making the safe bet in politics and, I mean, Trump is clearly going to win, you know, the nomination barring, you know, like you said, an act of God. But if we could just compare these guys side by side, I mean, Trump versus DeSantis, which one would pose more of a danger towards LGBTQ youth, women seeking access to abortion in this country, in your view? DeSantis. That's what I think too, because he seems so much more calculating. Like he doesn't have the retail politics. He doesn't have the the riz, like you say, but he knows how to get shit done. Yeah, he's smart. He's he has a record of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that you you do have a point that Ron DeSantis knows how to get shit done within the confines of how the system works. But the problem is, is Donald Trump will enact every single Republican policy that the Federalists or anybody put in front of him, and on top of that, he won't respect any institutional norms. I am worried hmm. that if Donald Trump becomes president okay. again, he will not leave the office. So you're like, putting in the maverick it's, element. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I am worried that Donald Trump will find a way to remain in office till he dies. If he gets in office again, or at least try to, he may not be successful, but he will implement more danger to the American constitutional system and our democracy as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think who's going to be bad for trans kids? Both. Who's going to be bad for immigrants? Both. Who's going to be bad for women in general and their body autonomy? Both. 
Like, because I think that while yes, Ron DeSantis agrees with more of those ideas with the, he he's read the lit, right? Like he, he believes in the actual philosophical right wing fundamental values and he will try to enact them. But Donald Trump will do whatever. And we've heard this multiple times from multiple sources. will do whatever the last person in the room told him. Mm-hmm. That's what he thinks. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they are going to put whoever they think the Republican neocon experts are in that room with him that they can get in there, even if he didn't hire them himself. And in the end, he's going to do what Trump wants to do. And in foreign policy, that's terrifying. In domestic policy, it usually winds up being a joke, you know, like the Muslim travel ban, as horrible as that was, like it was so badly implemented, like you're saying, like he, he doesn't know how to get things done right. But that Can doesn't matter to his foreign policy for a second, too, because yeah, let's do it. Let's did, jump in. What, what, <laughs> when it comes to his approach to the cartels, I mean, it, is, isn't he like in favor of doing something from like literally a, a Jack Ryan novel from Tom Clancy? <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, another like, thing is like, like I'm almost debating like like, OK, like if things start looking good for Trump, I got to read a clear and present danger to figure out how the hell <laughs> things are going to be between Mexico yeah. and the United States. That's another thing is I'm worried yeah. with with the difference between DeSantis and Trump is we'll both continue the American empire and like fighting for oil and the horrible war in Yemen and all of our African colonialism. Yeah, they'll both do that. But I'm worried Trump will stumble into a nuclear war. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm worried right. that his incompetence might lead to something that he's not even trying to do on the foreign policy level, because as much as as sad and as desperate and as much as we need to change a lot of the things that happen domestically in America, the president of the United States as an entity can end the human race. Like that is something that they can do on accident. And I think that Ron DeSantis won't push the red button. I think Donald Trump might to make a point. So I'm interested going back to something you guys said earlier about um, Trump's lack of respect for norms and institutions. I'm genuinely curious and I, I just, I just don't know enough maybe about DeSantis and maybe there's not enough, like nobody knows, but I I don't know if DeSantis is a a huge respecter of norms and institutions either. I mean, like, I think the reason people maybe think that is because he's more of an institution like Republican Party guy, but Mm -hmm. I don't see the Republican Party these days as a party that respects institutions. And it seems like every single politician in the Republican Party has very willingly gone along with that disrespect for institutions, save for maybe like a few people like Mitt Romney and, and whatnot. I think you're absolutely right. I, I can't argue that at all. But I will say that the difference is, is like they've always been doing that. You know, uh, Nixon did that with Cambodia and, and arguing a Vietnam peace treaty while LBJ was trying to do it. He undermined it so that he could win an election. You know, the Brooks Brothers riot under the Bush administration and the Supreme Court that handed him an election that he lost. Like they've always not respected norms as long as it suited them politically. But the difference is, is Donald Trump doesn't care about the blowback from the liberal like elite class that's on CNN and Fox and MSNBC. He doesn't care. So he'll break norms left and right. We woke up Mm -hmm. every morning with a new norm being broken, as opposed to Ron DeSantis, who will do it calculatingly in a calculating manner. He will he will do it as the donors want to do it. Like you were exactly right. You nailed it. He is an institutionalist as defined as a Republican institutionalist, Mm -hmm. but not what you and I would call an institutionalist by any means. Yeah. And and so I guess that's that's what I'm wondering. It's like when you talk about some of the really quite I guess, scary things that Trump did at the end of his term where he, you know, more or less tried to like stay in office, like you said, and like overthrow the peaceful transfer of power. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely convinced that Ron DeSantis wouldn't just do the exact same thing. And like, I think he does to an extent care about like the donor class. But I, I do wonder, like, would he just, you know, go for it as well? Yeah, he could. Uh, I think I 
I think he could. I doubt he would. It's one of those things where, yeah, he's definitely a fascist, but he, uh, I feel like, would still play by the rules. It, like, Trump didn't because I don't think Trump paid attention. I don't think he ever took interest in anything mm-hmm. that was actually going on. Like, he didn't know the rules. Like, at the, <laughs> but, uh, he, he really Ron, liked that big truck day. I don't know. About yeah. That. He, he liked so the big truck day. He looked so happy. <laughs> we should have just given him a truck simulator and let him run a fake fine. White House. It would have been fine. But Ron's a governor. Like, I, I, he's he's a career politician, like a military officer. He likes, he respects America. Trump doesn't respect America he, at all. Like, he does because it's, it sells. Like, so I, I don't think. Ron would and but and then again I if he did he would do it more competently uh, and it would be quicker and without any sort of capital riot but you gotta uh, have Riz to pull off a coup and, and like, exactly you I, do I, have I, yeah, like, I don't, I don't think it'll happen like, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say I think he needs a he needs Riz to put together like yeah. the capital riots and stuff yeah. I don't think he can do it without the Riz and yeah. we know Donald Trump will do it we're, we're debating if if you know, DeSantis would, would even consider this. John we know did. Donald Trump will lead a riot to the Capitol. Like we know Happened he'll do it at least once. All right. Well, look, you got with the Riz. You guys have convinced me that uh, to to change my stance that Trump would be the scarier guy if worried to win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the Riz argument won over. Yeah, the Riz factor. Makes it always it. does. It always does, <laughs> baby. I, I, I didn't factor in the Riz. I I didn't I didn't do that. But uh, thank you guys for doing that. <laughs> Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, this was oh, yeah. awesome. We really appreciate it. Um, and we got one more game that we want to play that we've been playing with our guests. And uh, oh, so yes. far so far losing, uh, Kevin, we are 0-1 in our game, uh, two Florida men and a fake. So just to explain those rules to the listeners, how the game works. So as we know, Florida is a state where the, the headlines for crime are uh, pretty spectacular uh to say the least um definitely proof that the truth is stranger than fiction although kevin i guess there is that whole thing in florida where like you can find out what all their crimes are so yeah so basically not to ruin the game but basically the reason for the the florida man headlines is because the laws in florida are different for like disclosing crimes Uh so the reason you there are more florida man stories than there are like uh, I don't know, New Hampshire man stories is because uh, not because there are fewer crazy people, but just because the headlines are able to get out there. I guess that's amazing. Wow. Doesn't yeah. ruin it, but that makes it like, it actually makes it make more sense. Cause like, surely this isn't a state full of crazy people. It is, but like, <laughs> damn. Yeah. It's gotta be I'm a great also not movie, saying that there's though. not crazy people, but oh, sure, yeah. sure. my, my family lives yeah, there yeah, and yeah. they're not crazy, but boy, do they have stories. Uh, I, I spent six months in Florida in 2016. Yeah. And the main <laughs> result was that I wrote a song called God, please don't let me die in Florida, which is the only country song I've ever written. <laughs> Uh, but no, yeah, but we, I, I, I think that, uh, the reason that Florida has that, yeah, it's definitely those disclosure laws that they, but I, I just so got to imagine that whatever intern works on those local papers, that's gotta be the best beat, right? Like you just oh, call yeah. them, you just call the police station every morning and be like, <laughs> what do you got for me? <laughs> oh, that's yeah, so yeah. funny. Oh, I mean, we just, we just wanted to pay some lip service to that. So that hopefully we could, you know, not lose listeners in Florida, maybe, maybe potentially sell some merch there. Uh, so just, just mentioning the fact that, uh, 
It's yeah, your fault, are, Florida. There, there are probably some crazy people in other states too doing some crazy stuff, but uh, Florida definitely. We're from Texas. Been to Texas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Trust me, we have it here. <laughs> so yeah, the way the game works is basically um, we both of us. Uh, so Kevin and I, we uh, took a look at some Florida headlines. We came up with two ones that are real, and then a fake one, and then uh, Andrew and Tim did the same. And the aim of the game is to figure out which one is the fake one so whichever podcast wins gets a point so currently the guests are one and oh we are oh and one so kevin we're looking to tie the score and then the guests are looking to i guess come ahead with a more commanding lead um but just to immerse our listeners in the experience of listening to a podcast about contemporary republican politics if kevin and i do start to dip down a little bit lower than is comfortable we will say that the whole thing is rigged and there might be lawsuits um, so yep. for what it's worth, it. uh, just, yeah, just to mention that, but we'll leave it to you as, uh, the away team. Did you want to read your Florida men headlines first, or did you want us to read ours first? We'll go first. All right. I've got them right here. Okay. <clears throat> South Florida man cited after dog died to look like Pikachu from Pokemon. Pikachu named as co-conspirator in human trafficking and turned state witness. Pikachu garners 1% of the vote for Tampa Bay Rail Commissioner with just 898 votes. Okay, so just just to clarify, so the first headline, the guy died his dog. Died his dog to look like a Pikachu. To look like Pikachu, okay. All right. Oh, my God. I assume with black tail stripes and like little. I red would think whether or not this yeah. is real, that would be got what it. I would do to. I would not do this to a dog. You got to make it canon <laughs> if you're going to torture animals. Yeah. 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 I mean, you got to go with the rosy cheeks too. You got to go the mm-hmm. whole nine yards if you're going to do it. Yeah. So I, I obviously we all grew up with Pokemon, and I'm sure we all you know love Pokemon. Uh, I, I was never a huge fan of Pikachu, but uh, I mean, what's going on with you guys? Do, do you guys have an issue with Pokemon with Pikachu? I mean, I'm sensing oh, no. the theme here. Why what's is going it every on? time we get invited somewhere, we get asked what's going on with you guys? It's such a common <laughs> we have no issue with Pikachu. This literally, I I, I typed in Florida. Uh, I typed in just Florida man uh, into news, and a Pikachu one was the first one that came up. So I kept down that path and. Right, well, to I, exist. And then, and then he messaged me on Discord, Andrew, can you make up a fake Florida Pikachu story? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that Ash, I think at some point in the next year or so, is going to make his final walk into the sunset with Pikachu and uh, retire <gasps> from being a Pokemon trainer. He's still 14 somehow. So I, I just want to make sure... Age. You know, no, I, I just want to make sure you yeah. guys weren't saying one last fuck you before he did that because that'd be oh, very no. disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, but, but it seems I like we're we're this. good with that. Um, no, no, no. I saw Pokemon the movie uh, in theaters on opening night and same. watched okay. Ash's sacrifice. So yeah, okay. I, oh, I appreciate him as an American and Japanese hero both. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that I film, think, that uh, film was he, amazing. Yeah, I mean, Kevin and I were even trying to see if we could find a way to nominate him for president. I think, Kevin, he was your candidate. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah. But, but okay, so what <laughs> are we looking best. at here? So we got um, a guy dying his dead dog to look like Ash. No, not a dead dog. Or, or, sorry, it, it, a Pikachu. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Dying his dog. He, he, to yeah, like he Pikachu. died his dog. It was a live dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and the other one was uh, Pikachu named him. as a co-conspirator, co-conspirator in human trafficking and turned state witness. Okay. And then Pikachu garners one percent of the vote for Tampa Bay Rail Commissioner with just ninety or nine hundred and eighty. Sorry, eight hundred and ninety-eight votes. All right. So I'm going to say that I don't know how you feel, Kevin. I'm going to say that third one happened. 
Okay. So we'll r- rule that one out. What do you think? I mean, it seems like something that would happen. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are countries where people, yeah. you know, they, they have no right to vote. And then there are people here who vote for fucking Pikachu. Like I, I could see it. Um, 10 dogs in America is mayor. All right. So we're left with the, I feel like the guy who that one did is that real. to his dog Wait, is, is that true? I had to Google it. Like 10 dogs have been elected mayor. I don't know if they're all currently sitting, but yes. Oh, okay. that is, no, that is no. Many of them are dead. They're dogs. Yeah. Tim. I hate to give you bad news. <laughs> it's America, I mean, man. It's a weird place. Clearly. Like, There's, I don't nothing know that, in the um, rules. There's nothing in the rules that say a dog can't be mayor. <laughs> so Yeah. Our, all right. Well, there it is, I guess. All right. So, the, Kevin, we're left with two. I feel like number two is so ridiculous that it can't be false. Am I? Is that? Truth is stranger than fiction is what you're going with. Um, so, you're thinking two. Is that a good one? <laughs> like the, the sex trafficking thing. Man, Pikachu can only say one word. That would be a tough interrogation. Um, who's, naming, who's naming him as a co-conspirator? I just some I don't know Florida uh, I guess I thought Pikachu as long as he spoke like Ryan Reynolds had the full concept of the English language oh I Mm. forgot about Detective Pikachu yeah yeah, Detective Pikachu is a thing yeah exactly all right Right. all right right that changes apparently he's working for the other side Mm -hmm. (laughs) now he's aligned with Andrew Tate and betrayed everything that he loved (laughs) wow yeah oh how the mighty have fallen all right Kevin one or two what do you think um I'm gonna go with one even though that sounds like totally plausible. Uh, uh, this is a tough one. This is, I'm not yeah. going to be a tough one. I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm leaning more towards two. Okay. We, yeah, we can do two. Want to do two? I, think I right. picked on the yeah. last one. So, all right. All right. Kevin two. is one. Uh, you're, you're both locking in at two. Yeah. I guess yeah. we're, well, we, we're we got to okay. agree. Sorry. Yeah. We got to agree. Okay. Uh, locking in at two. That is wrong. The Pikachu Damn. winning Tampa Bay rail commissioner is the fake one. A wow, the Florida one with the this it's a Pomeranian. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's poor Pomeranian looks so fucking pissed. <laughs> it's solid yellow <laughs> with the rosy cheeks. Oh um, my god, it's, uh, the, the co conspirator one that's technically a Reddit headline, uh, because there wasn't anything describing it, but it was a sheriff that is holding up a Pikachu, um, who would belong to a guy who was trying to lure, uh, you know, kids and stuff with the Pikachu. Gotcha. And the video oh. has a sheriff kind of talking to the Pikachu the whole time strongly encourage everybody go watch that very strange (laughs) (laughs) it's very strange uh but yep um so i don't know how i don't it didn't explain how he turned state's witness so that's the thing Mm. i it does not explain that there was a voice recorder any nothing it's just that it belonged to the kidnapper and you know here we are but now i want to get out ahead of the accusations and just say uh audience that was 100 legit okay uh and also you should check out dominion voting systems dominion voting system yeah. a voting system you can trust <laughs> <laughs> smartmatic too <laughs> i prefer instagram forums for voting let's just run the mm. country off that i prefer twitter polls that the polls. ceo doesn't <laughs> listen to mm. i mean i would just say watch yourself guys they'll they'll sue you for the upwards of uh you know 800 <laughs> Billion. Yeah, right. uh, but you know all right so let's see what we got here okay so our first one florida man slaps woman with slice of pizza during argument <laughs> who among us 
Uh, our second. <laughs> Kevin, didn't we? Didn't one of us do that to each other at some point when we were kids? Slapped a pizza. Uh, maybe when we were trying to make YouTube videos as as kids. Yeah, I feel like one time when mom and dad were it. like. Because we have a, we we come from a big family, Irish Catholic, so you know, obviously rest speaks for itself. And sometimes our so we're the two eldest siblings. And uh, one time our parents were like, or no, not one time. I think a couple times they were like, "Hey, why don't you cook for the siblings?" And um, I think we might have slapped somebody with pizza. It might have been Eric. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, I definitely so left left cold pizza on Tim as he slept during our college years. That's definitely woke happened. up eating it. <laughs> woke up eating it that's hilarious some people like <laughs> <cold> pizza, <right? laughs> um okay so that's our first one number two florida man arrested for trying to rob a bank with a nerf gun and then our last one florida man arrested for drunkenly berating random kids at naples beach oh i've been to naples that's definitely plausible uh two's true i believe it <laughs> two which one, one was two again? Holding up a uh, bank with a Nerf gun. Oh yeah, <laughs> I feel That's like the most I American thing I've ever heard. One, though <laughs> that, like that one, I like. I feel like I recognize, but I, I, maybe this is the pizza lover in me that's like, I, I yeah, want you're to biased when pizza comes into the equation. Yeah. I want you to factor that in. If it's Fine. pizza from Florida, is it really even pizza? Uh, there's no good pizza. It's America's there, Sicily. Really. What are you talking it's about? Uh, <laughs> Go for the Cuban food and nothing else. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I would probably lean towards three, just because uh, it sounds too like generic. Like it sounds like it's not a news story. Like, why do I care that a ra- like drunken men randomly berate children all the time as a bartender? As yeah, a bar but bar. local news in Naples, there's like nobody in that town, man. Uh, I, be- I like, believe that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Honestly, that that last one could have been Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I, that's what well that's what i thought you guys yelling were outside the gates of disney he <laughs> yelled at all those kids and stuff i was like oh are they is this like a oh, funnily worded bully yeah, yeah. like he article screamed about at some kid in in his audience or something yeah yeah, yeah it was, it was a group wild. of kids wearing masks behind him he's like why are you wearing masks you don't need to wear masks like rage like roid raging or whatever he's doing around a bunch of kids just Jeez. Still well, COVID. It's April. Stro- ass. <laughs> stroke of insight. I just there's a bit somewhere with trick or treating in Mar-a-Lago that we need to talk about later, Tim. There's there's oh. jokes there. Um, <laughs> oh my god. I, I'm gonna. Yeah, you know, I I think the Nerf one actually might be the fake one. Uh, I I I can't. I can see it happening, but I can also see them not seeding. I don't. What do you What do you want to go with, Andrew? Tim, I'll go the, with whatever you think. Tim, you are the the president of the company that I I work for. I the buck stops with you. All right. Oh, that, I, yeah, I am I am the new shadow puppet here with behind the scenes. Let's keep in mind you are the George Bush. I am the Dick Cheney here. Uh, so I'm yes. going to go along with <laughs> that. That's not that. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with whatever you think, Dick. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with three. I'm going to go. Yeah. I, I think three. Uh, yeah. Go. Three. We're locking in three. All right. So three is actually true. So Uh, the the false one was the uh, guy robbing a bank with a Nerf gun. Son of a bitch. Should have listened to you, Tim. Your instincts are right. So I kind of spoofed that. So I guess a Florida man tried to rob a restaurant with finger guns and was arrested. No. What? Which is is interesting. Like a gun in the pocket kind of a thing? Like, Mm. oh. like Feel feel the dreams. He does that, right? (laughs) I I was hoping that he was just like, you know, 
just point blank with the finger. Wow. Things. But yeah, maybe he was putting him in the shirt. Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> Straight out. Oh, wow. I wouldn't even call the police over that. Oh, like, I'd no. I'd just be like, sir, can you please leave? Like, this is a Wendy's. Like, I have stuff to do. <laughs> God, Cletus, the old guard can just like escort you out. Come on. Let's. Yeah. Let's we can get well, back to I his mean, nap. audience, if you, if you need political advice, come to me. If you need to know which story is complete bullshit, go to Tim. That's what we've learned today from this entire episode. Yep. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, this is a draw. <laughs> Look, I'm happy to draw. Yeah, with you guys ultimately. Hey, no, no, no rigness, no, no rigging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Two formidable, uh, two formidable uh, opponents stepped into a ring and stepped out both together as friends, and we appreciate. There that, you go. So. I love it. I love it. Beautiful way to put it. Good job, well, comrades. Look, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look, Tim and Andrew, America, the uh, conversation. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Yeah, so much. Uh, fun. Invite Thanks us back us, on anytime. Guys. We'd love to come back. So yeah. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, listen, before yeah, you guys head out, is there anything that you want to promote? Tell our listeners about what you do. I mean, you all do so much. I mean, I'm a oh, fan yeah. of two of your shows, you know, among many that you have. So. Yeah. Um, America, the conversation's out every Wednesday. Um, it's on our Patreon on Mondays uh, for early release. Um, we're moving to video format. Um, air, uh, we'll start, you'll start seeing those in June. Um, and then America, the podcast, uh, the road trip comes back on in June as well. We'll be running through August 24th, I think is how long it will be running. I just did the math the other day, but um, yeah, and that's all. And then we have indicted as well as um, a show called, I do not trust this person coming out. I'm in, May and a our first uh, scripted political comedy called Politicize This coming out in September. And, and uh, uh, yeah. D&D and D uh, oh, yes. this fall uh, will be doing D&D one-on-one where I'm playing with just one player and building the foundation of the world that I'm creating for my own, uh, which will do a full team of D&D, four to five people after that's finished. So we'll be live streaming and editing that and getting it all loaded up. So if you like uh, really bad pop culture references and uh, the bad guy always being capitalism or the church, you know, you can, uh, you can us, come check baby. out D&D Andy. <laughs> wow. That sounds awesome. Hey, well, look, if there's any invitation to that, we would love to be guests on that. Yeah. Get our, get our we'll dice out and go. We'll talk off Yeah, absolutely. That's doable. Yeah. That is freaking awesome. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I guess yeah that's thanks it. again, guys. Thank y'all. Before you head out, Feel free to subscribe and rate us. Leave a friendly comment on the way out. It really helps the podcast when you do. And if you enjoy what we're doing, you can find our Twitter or Instagram in the description below. We'll keep you updated about the show, and we'll also fill your feed with plenty of good old-fashioned memes. Follow us on Facebook as well if you're a Facebook person. Just type The Almost Presidents Podcast into that search bar. And lastly, you can write into the show. Our Gmail is thealmostpresidentspodcast at gmail.com which you can also find in the description.